Today we are continuing in our Beautiful Attitude of Jesus series that we're going through with a sermon titled, Peacemaker. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. But I want to begin today's talk with a little bit of church history. In the early 5th century, there was a monk named Telemachus. Telemachus was in prayer one day. He felt God telling him, go to Rome. And that's all he was told. He wasn't told to preach, wasn't told to do anything. Just simply, I want you to pick up and I want you to go to Rome. And so he packed his bags and set out for Rome. And when he arrived in the city, he saw that people were just thronging and, and celebrating and seeming headingly all in the same direction. And so he pulled somebody aside and he asked him, where are you, where, what's everybody excited about? Where are you guys going to? And he said, well, today the games are on and the gladiators will be fighting. And, and we're all celebrating. We're all going to the games. We've been looking forward to it for a really long time. And so we're all heading to the Colosseum to, to see these games. And Telemachus was shocked. After all, Christianity at this point had been this official state religion of the Roman Empire for decades. And people were still going to the Colosseum and watching people fight and possibly kill each other for their amusement and their entertainment. So he was shocked as a man of God that this was going on. So Telemachus ran to the Colosseum just as he heard the gladiators say, Hail Caesar, we who are about to die salute you. And they started to fight. And Telemachus was stricken in his spirit and he jumped over the railing and he went and he got into the middle of the of these two gladiators and he said in the name of Christ forbear stop stop what you are doing and the crowd protested the crowd goes insane and because these this this guy strange looking guy in a robe is standing there and telling the gladiators not to fight and he's he's ruining their entertainment and so they start they start shouting at the gladiators take your sword run him through run him through kill him get him out of there and so one of the gladiators came over and he took the, the butt of his sword and he just hit him in his stomach with it to try to get him out of there. And Telemachus fell to the ground and writhing in pain, but he got back up to his feet and stumbled to his feet and he, he just reached out and he said, in the name of Christ, forbear, stop, stop what you are doing. And the crowd, still furious, started chanting as one, run him through, one, run him through. And one of the gladiators took his sword and plunged it into the stomach of Telemachus, who fell to the ground, blood pouring from his body. And as he rolled in agony, he finally got onto his back and gasped out one more time, in the name of Christ, forbear. And as the crowd saw him still proclaim the name of his Savior, they fell silent. And one by one, 80,000 people slowly and silently left the Colosseum. The Emperor Horatius heard of that monk's courage and permanently banned the games after that. And this incident became the last known gladiatorial contest in the Roman Empire. I tell you this story of St. Telemachus because this is how most people view the verse that we are going to be studying today. Somebody that will lay his life down to stop conflicts from happening. And I want to explore this today because is that what Jesus is really getting at here? Is Jesus saying that we are supposed to be totally and completely for peace in every situation? Is Jesus promoting pacifism? 
Many people and, and many people, denominations within Christianity would say, yes, this verse points out that we should all be pacifists. We should never get into conflicts. We should never get into wars. We should never get into fights. Is Jesus saying that all conflict is evil and should be avoided by Christians? Is Jesus saying that all Christians should lay down their lives like Telemachus did to stop two opposing sides from fighting or going to war? And these are some of the questions that we're going to try to answer this morning. From where we've come as we started this series, the Beatitudes have taken us through the salvation experience, into the rebirth that a person experiences once they accept Christ as Lord and Savior. And these last few Beatitudes deal with the life of a Christian and how that life impacts their world. So let's see what Jesus had to say here in Matthew 5, verse 9. He said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for these beautiful attitudes of Jesus. And we ask, Lord, as we unpack what you are saying here in this verse today, that it will change our hearts, our thoughts, and our attitudes to reflect those of your Son, Jesus. And we ask, Father, that you just bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the idea of peace is probably one of the most argued about and one of the most misunderstood principles in the Bible, especially those outside of the kingdom of God. As I was studying for this uh, sermon this week, I came upon a video of a noted atheist named Bill Mayer. And Bill was loudly criticizing a Christian who was on his show saying that all Christians are hypocrites because Jesus taught pacifism and you're all hypocrites unless you stand up and tell your government to quit getting us into useless wars. But is that what Jesus is saying here? Is Jesus advocating that our mission on earth is to put a stop to any conflict and any war? So we're going to begin our journey through this beatitude today by answering that question. And we're going to begin by defining peace the way that Jesus meant it here. Last year in the Old Testament, we went through that series of the name of God. We sang one of the name of God's this morning, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. There was another name of God that we looked at, which was Yahweh Shalom, which is the God of peace. And God gave that name of himself to a man named Gideon. Gideon was asked to go to war with the nation of Midian to free his people from their tyranny. Gabriel sees the angel of the Lord, which we know as Jesus pre-incarnate. And in the Old Testament way of thinking, if God showed up on your doorstep one day or appeared before you, he was usually bringing judgment with them. And so Gideon is terrified. He is terrified. I mean, he's on his face, he's on his hands and knees, he's, he's getting ready for that lightning bolt to come and fall in his life. And so the Lord said, no, my name is Yahweh Shalom. I am the God of peace. I do not come to bring judgment to you. I come to bring you good news that you are going to deliver Israel from Midian's hands. And so Gideon is so thankful about this, that he actually builds a large stone altar there, and he names that altar Yahweh Shalom, the Lord of Peace. And understanding the peace of God, or how God defines peace, is essential for us to understanding what Jesus is teaching us here, of what it means to be a peace 
maker. Peace is not just the absence of conflict. If that were true, very few of the Bible records should have happened at all. Because it was often it was God telling Israel to go to war or to save themselves or to bring victory to Israel. So isn't that God is totally against conflict? Peace is also not the refusal to fight or to resist evil or oppression when necessary. Because we live in a fallen world, sometimes peace can only happen because of a conflict first. An awesome example of this is Rosa Parks. Everybody ever heard that name before? 1955, segregation was the law of land in Montgomery, Alabama. And part of that law included where where and when an African-American could sit on a city bus. There was a movable sign that clipped onto the rolls that could be moved at will by the bus driver depending on what he perceived as the needs of the white riders. So if there were more white riders, he would move that seat back and give less seats to the African-American people that were there. So Rosa Park paid her fare, and she sat in this, where it said colored people only section of the bus. The bus made several more stops and more, some more white people got on the bus. So the bus driver, James Blake, got up and moved the sign past where she was. So now she's sitting in the white-only section. And he told her in very impolite term to get up and move to the back where she belongs. And Rosa Park refused, absolutely refused, and she was arrested for violating segregation laws. And that incident was one of the sparks that ignited the entire civil rights movement. But this came because of a conflict. This came because someone resisted oppression. This came because somebody resisted an evil. And that what teaches us is that peace is not just the absence of conflict. It is the presence of justice. So the peace that Jesus is speaking of here is not total pacifism. Remember, Jesus said his mission was not to bring peace on this earth, but a sword. In other words, Jesus came to be divisive. He came to make a line in the sand. He drew that line in the sand. God's on one side, Jesus is on the other, and, or excuse me, humanity's on the other, and Jesus became that line that we had to cross over to come into the presence of God. He's, Jesus said, I am the line. So what is Jesus talking about here when he says, blessed are the peacemakers? Well, the first thing he's talking about here is that Jesus is the peacemaker. One of Jesus' titles, in fact, is Prince of Peace. And the peace that he's talking about isn't the absence of human conflict. When we think of peace, we automatically think of, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Our, our brain goes to that we don't want any conflict in our lives or in our world. And that, that's the kind of peace that we start thinking of. But Jesus is talking about something that is much more important than our individual lives or even the condition of our world right now regarding conflict. Jesus is looking toward eternity because Jesus came to repair the relationship between God and humanity. He came to bring peace to that conflict. Ephesians chapter 2.14, it says, For he, Jesus himself, is our peace 
who made the two groups one, talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, and has destroyed the barrier, that dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who are far away and peace to you who are near. Through, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Let me illustrate this a little further. Everybody here remember the Cold War? Still going on a little bit, I think. But in, back, um, back from the 50s to the 80s, the Soviet Union and America stood ready to destroy each other for almost 44 years. In fact, we fought many proxy wars where the Soviet Union was behind one, one country and we were behind another. We did that in Korea, Vietnam, Cuba, various Central American countries, and Afghanistan. Anybody remember missile drills in school? Anybody have to remember diving under your desk because a nuclear bomb was coming? I remember those. I remember running the bayonet range in the military and the sergeants yelling, kill a commie for mommy! And different things like that that we would have to yell as we're thrusting our bayonets into various targets because they wanted to instill a hatred for Soviets within us in case we ever had to go to war. And for thousands of years during the time of the Old Testament, a similar situation existed and for the most part, largely continues to this day between God and humanity. There is a cold war, a spiritual cold war, that exists in the heavenly realm. God is withholding the judgment and destruction of evil and those who would do evil until a time that the gospel gets to be preached to every single person so that they have a chance to repent. And that is why Jesus is our peacemaker. He exists to bridge that gap between us and the Father. Jesus is that reconciliation between God and humanity. He fought the ultimate battle and won the greatest war ever fought in reconciling us to God. Jesus fought for us because that he knew that by ourselves and us all alone on this earth, we stand defenseless against our very nature to sin. Humanity can never know true peace until it gets to know the author of peace. And peace never exists apart from God. It can't happen. I don't care how much you chant. I don't care how much you meditate. I don't care how much you smoke marijuana or drink or do anything else. You will never know peace apart from God. Every conflict, every war, Every atrocity committed by one human being to another human being is because of God's, the lack of God's manifest presence, His character, or His Lordship existing in the lives of other people. Or the lives of us. And what Jesus is giving us in this beautiful attitude isn't a dream of who we will be or a character trait we are to have but it is a mission statement that needs to fill our entire lives. And the mission that we have is to spread the gospel. And that's how we get 
to be peacemakers. Now, how do we discover this? How do we, how do we figure the term peacemaker, what does that have to do with evangelism? But if you look at the term peacemaker and define it the way the Bible translates it, there's two places the Greek word for peacemaker appears in the Bible. One is in this scripture in Matthew, and the other one is in Colossians. St. Paul says in Colossians 1, 19 and 20, that for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, talking about Jesus, and through him reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And this is where the definition comes in. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Peacemaker has everything to do with the gospel, has everything to do with the cross of Christ. Through him dying on the cross for our sins. And that is how you and I can become peacemakers. The definition of peacemaker, therefore, is a spreading and application of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the lives of all people. And in the light of this definition, let's paraphrase our central verse this morning. Blessed are those who bring God and man together by telling them about Jesus. Because then they will be called the sons and daughters of God. That is what Jesus is saying here. And for that statement to be true, it has to work both ways, and it does. In other words, the sons and daughters of God will bring those who bring people and God together, and they will be blessed. It works both ways. That is how we are blessed in life, and it's how we are blessed in the next life as well. And it's incredible to think, enough to think that Jesus paid the price for our sin. And that through his life and death, we can be born again into a new life that reflects God in his nature. That is an incredible thought right there. That God loved us that much that he died for our very sin on the cross for us. That, that, that is just so incredible to me. That God loved us that much. But Jesus didn't just save people from hell to sit in a pew. I heard this said at pastor's conference. It's kind of an ironic joke amongst church leaders that save people who do nothing but sit in a church and do nothing to spread the gospel smell. And that's why we call church seating pews. You were saved to serve. The ultimate expression of your faith isn't church attendance. Your ultimate expression of your faith is not your giving record. As your pastor, I encourage you to be faithful in in both. Not for my sake, definitely not not for my sake, and not for the church's sake, but because God has promised to bless those who show that commitment to the representation of His kingdom here on earth. The ultimate expression of your faith is is how you live and set your priorities to see the mission of Jesus Christ fulfilled in you and through you. And through being peacemakers, Jesus points us to a reality that comes as we begin to believe and live this beautiful attitude that you will then be the sons and daughters of God. But you can't call yourself a son or daughter of God and and refuse to be like Jesus who saved you. And that is why Jesus has called us to share in his mission. 
And Jesus defined his own mission in Luke chapter 4. Jesus comes into Nazareth, his boyhood home. As a good Jew, he attends synagogue on Sunday. He's selected to do the reading for the day, and he chooses the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, that says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to announce that captives shall be released and the blind shall see, that the downtrodden shall be free from their oppressors, and that God is ready to give blessings to all who come to him. Jesus closed the book and he handed it back to the attendant and sat down. And while everyone in the synagogue gazed at him intently, Jesus said, these scriptures came true today. Isaiah wrote those words 600 years before Jesus was even born, describing what the Messiah's role and mission would be when he was to come. And Jesus' mission in life becomes our mission as his followers. And see how this lines up with the Beatitudes. To preach the good news to those who are poor in spirit. To preach and give comfort to them who mourn. To preach freedom to the captives who are meek in their current situation. To bring people to purity in heart so that they seek after God. And these Beatitudes that we've been studying these last several weeks are not just a random bunch of attributes that a person should have to call themselves a Christian. They are the very mission statement that those who follow Jesus are to follow, that they are to pursue and run after. Blessed are those who bring the gospel for all, to all humanity, for indeed they are the children of God. And finally, I share this promise of Jesus. Those who fulfill his mission on earth to bring peace between God and man will reign and rule with him in heaven. In fact, it's the basis for our reward. And that's why we get to share in the government of the eternal kingdom, because we shared in the mission here on earth. Heaven is not this thing that the world would try to say that we get to sit on a, on a cloud in a diaper playing a harp. You know, the, the common way that Hallmark tries to say that's what heaven looks like. But those who have surrendered to Jesus, we have a position waiting for us. We have a job waiting for us. And we think, oh man, we got to go to heaven to work. No, no, no. God has something set aside for you that will bring you so much joy, so much fulfillment. It'll, it'll just eclipse anything that brings you joy and fulfillment on this earth. And you get this reward in heaven based on how well you reign and rule your life here on earth and surrender it to Jesus. So I ask you today, are you part of this mission? Are you living a life focused on the winning of souls or supporting those who do? Those who share in, this, in Jesus' mission, we share the same reward that Jesus got. We get to reign and rule in heaven. And not only in heaven, but as representatives of his kingdom here on earth, we get to reign and rule here. And some of us need to step into that authority. Finally, Proverbs 11.30 says that he who wins souls is wise. 
It's the basis of our reward. And it's how we earn the title of peacemaker.